Hey everyone, hey, I'm Kyle. Welcome to a <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We're gonna keep it. I don't care. This is how we are. Hey everybody, I'm Kyle. And as you may or may not have heard, we are 613 Wrestling. We are the podcast by fans, for fans, about stuff we like and stuff we don't. For the fans. For the fans. About the fans. We are not paid to do this, so we will not do things over again. Someone sponsor us. We're getting there. Slowly but surely. Maybe Subway. Oh, I do like Subway. I do like Subway. I enjoy a good meatball sub. Yes, I do too. Uh, So, uh, thanks very much for joining us today. Uh, On today's episode, we have our highs and mediums and lows for the week, or the last couple of weeks. Uh, We also have uh, a a review of Fire Pro Wrestling, the New Japan uh, Wrestling Establishment's uh, game that is a computer game ported to the PlayStation 4. Uh, at least for this review. Uh, and we discuss our Mount Rushmore's, uh, who we think is at the uh, the top of the top when it comes to wrestling. Uh, first things first, we wanted to uh, offer our condolences for the losses of Dynamite Kid and uh, Axel Henning, uh, who passed away over the last couple of days. Uh, I know that both have had a uh, uh, established themselves as uh, the upper echelon of wrestling, uh, I know that uh, Axel had a, a big uh, part in Curtis Axel's life, as well as um, their mutual uh, family member in the Mister Perfect. Uh, and un- you know, Tom Tom is unfortunately, or Dynamite Kid is the unfortunate story uh, of you know he was done stuff that some people had never seen before. Uh, even to this day, people think he's one of the best uh, for what he did. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, uh, personal differences and. Uh, you know, medical issues got in the way, uh, and uh, tragically, he he was lost early at the age of sixty, I believe, on his birthday. I believe so. That's what I read. As well. uh, you know, and unfortunately, uh, you know, it just wasn't probably the way that he wanted his legacy to be remembered. Uh, so, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, his family will be both families will be able to uh, take the joys in their lives, and uh, and we can uh, we can do the same. So, uh, we want to bring this up to a, a lighter note. As uh, you know, if we want to talk about all the deaths in wrestling, we could be here for days. Uh, so we wanted to uh, go over our highs and lows for the week. So Mark, uh, well, we had, so we have some some highs, mediums, and lows this week because we had some kind of sitting on the fence here. So uh, let's start off with your high, Mark. What's your high for the week? So my high is still wrestling related, but you know, one thing that we want to really bring to the podcast is not only just talking about a match or a show. You know, we really want to respect wrestling in general. It doesn't always have to be WWE. It can be any form of wrestling. Um, mud wrestling, maybe. No. Uh, no. That's where no. I draw the line. Okay, shut it down. See you later. Going home. Uh, but no, I would say my high for the week is, it's not that I just discovered them, but I really gave them more of a chance than I had before. But if you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, Up, Up, Down, Down, hosted by Xavier Woods and a lackluster of lackluster is not the word not the right word it's been a long week (laughs) the opposite of lackluster lots of luster um (laughs) no but it's it all the all the superstars uh you know from mid carters to top carters it's not about necessarily you know popular superstars on the show these guys play video games these guys are friends and the amount of fun they have is crazy so i've been watching it for a few years on and off 
but I really started to give it a chance. So what I did one day was I kind of saw a couple of videos and the video that I saw recently was one with AJ Styles. Did like the actual thumbnail was AJ Styles. Um, it said AJ Styles and Austin Creed bought what? So I was like, well, he's got a, he's got a Jaguar like video game system. In the, in yeah, the he thumbnail. bought that in Japan. And I'm like, okay, well, hold on here. And I saw it was number five and uh, it's five part two. So I said, well, hold, hold, hold on here. You know, I, I got to see these other parts. So I kind of went, found it, started watching it. And then I just kept continued watching, you know, watching AJ go to number one, just a little funny 8-bit intro that he made. and But just kind of him going to different stores along their travels in Japan, not even anywhere around the world, and just picking up video games, talking to the owner. And then I was like, well, hold on here. How deep can we go? Went up a little bit, started watching some Battle of the Brands um, with Xavier Woods. And Edge and Christian was on there as well. The Tekken 7 tournament. And then I went to the playlist and I started watching the old Madden tournaments from a few years ago. Um, you know, the superstar, you know, WWE, you know, invitational tournament where they actually play. They're all at like a little hotel and they're all playing tournament style. Um, you know, just did the WWE video game. Um, League of, you know, the, the Rocket League tournament. The, 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 the Madden one, hands down for me, was one of the favorite ones. There's, I think there's about four of them now. I think going on going on five, and they not just talk about the intro, but there's brackets. There's a red side and a blue side. There's Raw versus SmackDown, and they make their way where each episode is two individuals battling each other in a full game of Madden. Uh, I'll say, uh, Mister Twenty Four Seven, Kofi Kingston is friggin' hilarious. Just the 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 crap talking that guy does. How serious AJ gets. Where a lot of the times in the videos you see AJ Styles as like. Very energetic, very, you know, just loves being around video games, being around his friends. But when he plays, he's so quiet and he gets so mad. But he doesn't say anything. You just, you just watch him. He just, you know, his cap is so low and you see his face get red when it doesn't go his way. And Seth Rollins is a maniac as well. But just watching these guys in a non-wrestling element where some of them, yes, breaks kayfabe where... You know, one of them is Seth and The Miz. Before the WrestleMania match, they're in the same room playing a video game with each other. Okay. You know, so maybe that's a little bit offside. But at the end of the day, it brings such a different realm of entertainment. That's insane. You know, plus to see, and, you know, Kyle said, you know, Kyle said a great point before we started recording when we were talking about the highs and lows and mediums. Um is that how behind WWE is with Up, Up, Down, Down. They allow the New Day to wear it as gear. They have merchandise. They sell the merchandise on the website. Um, you know, it just, it's great to see that they're backing Xavier. You know, where I know hearing Zack Ryder, I can't remember on which podcast he was on, but, you know, hearing him talk about how he really revolutionized YouTubing for wrestling um, when he was doing his... Um, his IZ show being the internet champion. And then how WWE was like, Hey, we want to bring you on. They kind of took the show away from him. They put it on the, they, 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 they put it on their own YouTube page and they, they stopped him from being able to grow revenue and everything from it. And then they, they, they started writing his episodes and it's great to see Xavier just kind of act and feel and do as he wants with his friends. So if you haven't checked it out, up, up, down, down on YouTube, 
super awesome. I've been binge watching it all week. And I think if you would too, not only do you kind of get to see different sides of the superstars, but you get to see them kind of just outside of the ring, you know, going to different places to get some food and play video games and check out video game stores. And it, oh, it's, it's super awesome. Definitely take a look at it. So I think it kind of ties in with my uh, high for the week or for the last couple of weeks uh, is the, the network itself um, and the access to a different view of the wrestlers. Um, the more human side of things. And one thing I've always been fascinated with um, is the back-end workings of how um, how it works, how wrestling operates. Um, it's one of the things that most fascinates me. And so to be, I think it started off with like the 24 series uh, on the network. And then you have, um, you know, it's also one of the reasons I watch Total Divas. I don't care. I'm okay to admit it. There is nothing wrong with that. No, show. it there makes is nothing wrong. With it mixes two of my favorite things: reality TV and wrestling. Uh, and it, but it it does operate show you a lot of the background stuff of how they get their stories over, how they get their characters over. 100%. Um, you know, Total Bell is a little different, uh, but I still watch that too. And uh, you know, you have the 365 series. So the first one I remember was Kevin Owens 365. It covers him an entire year. This last one that just came out was. Uh, AJ Styles 365. You have the Chronicles series. Uh, the Samoa Joe one was really interesting. The Dean Ambrose one was was a, a nice view of, of his uh, how he operates, and because he's been one that's been very against being in the camera. And even when he, even when Renee was on uh, Total Divas for that one season, it didn't really work well with him because he just didn't want to be in the limelight. Uh, and then you know you also have. Um, the photo shoot, which is a fascinating, oh, great. Scott, if you can, if anything, you have to watch the Scott Hall one. It'll open your eyes to the mind that Scott Hall has, regardless of all the damage to his credibility and to his image that the alcohol and drug abuse did. He now that he's sober, and, or you know, he's. I'm assuming he's sober, but he sounds sober and he is spot on. And the stuff that he, information he shares is just fascinating. So for me, the big high was as I'm. In between wrestling, I'm willing to watch some of the other stuff that's on the network. Not to mention, you can go back and watch almost any episode of any SmackDown, any Raw, any uh, Nitro. Um, you know, as a lot of these podcasts do watch alongs, you can watch all this stuff from before. So it's all really fascinating. Uh, another interesting look, if you're interested in NXT, was Breaking Ground. I always hoped they would come out with another one. Right. Uh, sadly, they haven't as of yet. Um, but it did chronicle some of the wrestlers in NXT and how they got about uh, getting to where they are now. So it's just... Again, the network has so much content that is wrestling related, but isn't necessarily specific wrestling that I can encourage you more to go out and take a view. Uh, you know, yeah, you got to have the network, but it's worth it. Even if you add on all this content on top of the pay-per-views that you get for having the network, it is absolutely worth it. Uh, I cannot stress enough that it is definitely my high for the week and will probably be my high, uh, you know, in and out for, for a long time because of all the content they have. No, 110%. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, a couple of other ones that I've watched, uh, and I didn't think I was going to like it, but the story time, you know, actually, you know, going back and forth between, you know, like especially Jake the Snake on there is hilarious, especially with the way that he tells stories where it will be him in the chair telling the story and then they cut to the cartoon. It's honestly awesome. No, that's great. So my next, so I kind of started with a high. I'll go with a medium. So mine, I don't want to go into, you know, too, too deep, because I believe Kyle and I have been talking about this over the last couple of weeks now. And for me, my medium is raw and raw in general. You know, I understand that, you know, 
wrestling in WWE itself recently has took a big hit with a lot of injuries. You know, Alexa Bliss on the sideline, even though she is doing a good job in her spare time. Apparently she's coming back. Yeah, she's coming back, but she's doing a good job in the interim. I think she's doing a phenomenal job. Sami Zayn, Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns. Kevin Owens. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Owens. You know, these are some of your top stars, you know, and, you know, and I understand that that hurts, especially a Roman, especially a Kevin. Um, but you look at the product and, you know, I, I guess I, I, every time that I think about storytelling and booking and just hearing podcasts, you know, with Bruce and Conrad or Eric or, or Tony Schiavone or, or Jim Ross or Stone Cold or anyone, you know, they always talked about in the back old days, it was Pat Patterson, Bruce Pritchard, Vince McMahon in Vince's backyard, booking the next year, booking the territory, they called it. Now it just seems like they can't even book the next week. Where when you look at the last, especially the last year, some feuds happen. Like, I don't know what's happened. Like, even though we now know that Finn Balor is going to go up against uh, Drew McIntyre, came about very suddenly for no reason, and which scares me because are they going to do the Finn that they did with Bray? Like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the continuity and the inconsistencies where Drew McIntyre is hot right now. All signs show to Drew should win this match. Is Finn the person to put him over? You need to be putting Finn over. It just doesn't, you know, so I just really hope that it just seems like we're running down the scope of, you know, I close my eyes and I think in the last three, four months, three, four months, we had Braun, Ziggler, uh, McIntyre. Now we have Baron, Bobby, McIntyre. You know, then we had Finn Balor against Baron Corbin and Baron Corbin was legitimately cleanly beating him on Raw. And then Finn's the demon and cleans, cleans his clock in 60 seconds on a pay-per-view. And then Finn loses to Kane. And then, you know what I mean? Like, it just, I think Finn Balor in this last, I know we're near the end of the year, but over the last 12 months, he's had to have had at least 20 different feuds, quote unquote, or issues with individuals. And that just seems, you don't see that happen as much on SmackDown. SmackDown, they're sticking with some of the storylines. They're making it really work month over month. And I think that's where you get more out of the product. You invest time. You know, it's not rocket science where there's two individuals. One's typically a good guy. One's typically a bad guy. Find a reason for them not to like each other or to conflict. Or they have something not in common or whatnot. Build. Build a storyline. They don't need to fight right away. They don't need to wrestle right away. Have something, segments, promos, bumping into each other, whether it's in the ring or in in the back locker room. Tell a story to make me know, really ask the question, or be able to start be able to answer the question, why are they facing off against each other? Why are they, quote-unquote, feuding? And then, you know, and I, and I know I've used this example so many times, but I look back on John Cena versus Edge, Randy Orton and Triple H, Triple H and Cena, you know, Undertaker, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, I know I'm using a lot of Triple H examples, but, you know, so much more. Steve Austin, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, you know, and so many people, The Undertaker with so many, so many individuals, you know, whether it's Stone Cold, The Rock, you know, Nation of Domination, the list goes on and on. They fought against each other and then they would have a feud and a feud would typically go quite a few months where they would not wrestle every single show, but they would kind of scuffle. Maybe they took a week off here and there, 
you know, wrestled another opponent, but it was purely just to kind of buy time. But there was always a payoff. And I think the, the, the most recent time they got it right, and we're still kind of seeing it now, is Becky and Charlotte, where we understood why are they mad at each other? Why are they feuding against each other? And they had a series of matches. They're now going on match four or five, and we're still hyped on seeing it now. I know Asuka was added to the mix, but we're still excited to see. Even if Asuka wasn't in there, we were still excited to see them. You yeah. know, And I think that's what's lost now is put Finn against someone for a reason and have it go for at least several weeks or so until there's an end game. And I think that's lost. And I know injuries throw storylines to the side, but I don't know. I guess overall, that's my medium is just the inconsistencies with Raw. And more importantly, not just Raw, but just the inconsistencies with storylines in general. Yeah. And how I really hope to see them, you know, just be more consistent, more effort into, I just wish WWE knew this person, this feud is going to last the next seven, eight weeks. And here's where it's going to end, not booking week to week. So... That's my medium. Yeah, no, I'm on board. I think Drew is a, a good guy to push. It's just it's such an odd way of doing it that he's not that somehow Baron Corbin is the guy, which doesn't make any sense. And then you forgot about Dolph, and then finally mentioned it this week. Yeah. Uh, which to me that would have been a much more sense was having Dolph Drew at TLC. How could it not? They were best buds and teammates, but yeah. now they hate each other. But Drew's going to go up against Finn. Ooh. Yeah. Or unless maybe Finn wins because. Ziggler interferes. And then they push that into to Rumble, but, you know. Yeah, maybe. So, we'll have to see. But, uh, you know, so my my medium, and I, I say it was medium because I wasn't, I, I thought it could be a high, but it could be a low. And, and it's the Daniel Bryan heel turn. Um, you know, at first I was a bit, you know, I'm a little tired of the nut shots, uh, especially against AJ. I mean, I think it's been enough now. Uh, but at least it moved him into that desperation mode because I wasn't really sure what they were going to do with um, Daniel Bryan, he wasn't really working for me as he came back. Um, I don't think the crowd was necessarily, I think they were very nostalgic with him. Not that he was bringing anything new or fresh to the, to SmackDown uh, as a competitor. Um, but you know, when you talk about this heel turn, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what, what the motivations are, which is why it's a medium for me. Um, everyone's booing him, which means that part is working. Uh, which was the high, it brings me back to Matt Hardy and his broken universe in WC or Impact, sorry. Um, in that, at first, I was like, this is really weird. But as it started to flesh out, I was like, okay, I'm getting behind this. It is weird. That's okay. It's supposed to be weird. It's different. They're doing something different. This fickle, 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 which is absolutely 100% true, which is why I'm behind Daniel Bryan in this heel turn, this semi-environmental crusader thing is where things get a little weird and icky for me, um, which is why it could easily turn into a low if they don't play this correctly. Um, I don't want to see him join forces with The Miz. I like The Miz is pushing him and being like, hey, you know, I admit it. I I was right. When you say you got to do, you can. So I like that The Miz is trying to help him push that heel. I just don't, I don't want a heel tag team. I don't need it. There's you no tag teams. All of the work they've done. Correct. Uh, but yeah, so it's my medium because I, I, there's the potential if it ends up being something like the broken universe where it's just out there, it's different and you were running with it and it's successful and he's winning. Right. If he turns into a Bray Wyatt where it's out there, it's weird, but he keeps losing, then it's useless for me. Or if it turns into this like environmental warrior where I'm going to crush everyone with, you know, 
biodegradable plastics, um, then I'm, I'm out. Uh, so that's why it was kind of on the fence with me, kept it as a medium, um, just because I wasn't sure where it's going to go, but it is certainly relevant as we move forward towards World Rumble. No, that makes sense. And if anything, that's the exciting piece, right? Is, you know, you don't always want to, you want to be able to engage and, you know, I guess relish the moments where you don't know where things are going in wrestling. Cause it's, it's actually quite rare, unfortunately. Um, but no, I would definitely say I agree. I it can't say it's, it's a low. You can't say it's a high. It's, it's a medium. That's right. Uh, but no, my final one is a low. I'm not going to spend too, too much time on it. Uh, it's just, once again, it's, it's a raw segment with the revival. The revival had once much such potential. They are my favorite tag team. Hundred percent, you know. But they've squandered them. And yeah, I don't even know Lucha House Party. I'm a, I'm not party, even on board with that either. I'm not on board with it. This came out of nowhere. A really, you know, seeing the revival lose as much now, you've kind of come used to it. This new Lucha House Party with oh, by the way, it's going to be Lucha House Rules the other week, and then they cleanly, quickly beat the revival. That was just a shovel on the ground for me. Well, seeing the revival where it just doesn't make sense. I know they had a bad start. They came out from, you know, coming from NXT, they got called up. Roarish ovation. Everyone was excited to see them. Injuries, return, injuries, return. It was a little bit of on and off. They kind of came back in as if they've been there the entire time, which I think was a bad way for them to start. But since then, they've been on the losing end of everything. They mm-hmm. can't win a match for the life of them, but they're hands down one of the greatest tag teams in the world right now. You know, they have such a great old school feel with a new school twist. Not a lot of people can say that. So I just I just think, you know, it's a low. Not that I think the Revival are a low. I just think that the position that they're in is very low, and I think it's very unnecessary. My hope is that they find a way to, you know, hit the rewind button, they find a way to, and WWE can do it, and you've seen you can do it. Just put them on a winning streak, and turn them babyface. You like this heel is not this heelish thing is not working for them right well, now. Well, because right, the problem is right now is that they're they're using the Lucha House Party are doing heel type things yeah. at the approval of the company, which yeah. makes them a face doing heel things and. The heel is just getting squashed because they're heel. That's it. And they don't even get a chance to do heel things. They just, that's their demeanor. That's it. You know, and I agree. I think that there's that opportunity with AOP being champion. How you push Bobby Roode and Chad Gable as your competitors to AOP is beyond me. I mean, the whole notion of everything that's happened so far is stupid. But that's where the revival should be. They have the history with them in NXT. Why not bring them back? They they can put on great matches because they're contrasting styles. This is where you should be putting them. Never mind. And the thing is, too, is the Lucha House Party already has a feud going with guys on 205 Live. So yeah. unless you're going to join four of them, it doesn't really yeah. make sense. And you got to really make, they got to be careful about that double feuding on two sides, on two brands. Because it's not like it does. Like when you're having a feud, you should dedicate it to that one feud you're at, not two feuds on different shows. But but no, I just think yeah. Like you look at AOP and AOP is in a good spot now because they came in, it was very lackluster, and now they've also become quite impressive. You know, 
could have that if they were going to push it on someone, could have that been the revival? Oh yeah, Maybe wholeheartedly. Easily. You know, anyone who knows or the, the fans boo because it's what to do. Any wrestling fan knows that the revival are the deal. You know, they can boo them all they want. If they would have won those tag team champions, the championships, the place would have erupted. And they and they would have loved it, you know, like because they're just booing it because they think the company's not behind them. So my hope is overall that you know, I hope the revival gets an opportunity. And I hope they get a chance to really showcase what they can do and go on a nice streak. Mm-hmm. We wins and losses don't matter. Both they matter. They matter in the in, in the light of what you can do. Yep. What, what is your result? What is the outcome? Are you good enough to achieve? That's what wins and losses matter. You know, I know Road Dog and lots of different people say that they don't matter. Bull, I bet you Bray Wyatt says something different. You put Bray like Braun Strowman, White Family up and down. He just beat a bunch of jobbers for a long time and then made his way onto lower card individuals. The reason why he was so impressive, because you were like, this guy can't be beat. He's beaten everyone and he's destroying everyone. But they're jobbers, but it doesn't matter. He's destroying them. Yeah. Like people are able to forgive that stuff. I just I just think I just hope that one day they just change that mentality and yeah. So that's my low for the week. Uh, what's your what's your what's your So low? my low is a little old. Uh, but I wanted to make sure I got it off my chest. Okay, uh, okay. So we would have, you would have seen me or Mark uh, tweet about it through our six month wrestling during Survivor Series. Uh, was a uh, flashback appearance uh, from one. Uh, I don't even know what he's called now. It doesn't really matter. How you doing, uh, Enzo Amore? How you doing? And for this point, we'll call him Enzo Amore because essentially, for that brief minute, that's what he was. So uh, Enzo, obviously, as you know, got into a bit of an issue with. Uh, a uh, alleged uh, sexual assault case. Nothing seemed to have come from it, but during that time, WWE decided they didn't want to go through with him, so they let him go. I'm sure there was other issues, the fact that everybody hated him, and he was probably a great... great I shouldn't say great opportunity, but I think it was an opportunity that they were looking to get rid of him anyways, because you heard all all of the the scuffle in the back locker room, getting kicked off the bus, whatever. Right, and you know that he wasn't strong in the ring, uh, especially when you ask Simon Grimm, uh, he'll right. definitely tell you that. Um, He's got a lot of sand. And he also said he would never end up in a wrestling ring again because he wants to become this rapper. Fine. I'm okay with that. His album drops that weekend. And then rumors are starting to spread that he's in the audience, second or third row in on the hard camera, right in front of the hard camera. And he's, you know, hiding behind this hood. And then, and you don't, I didn't even notice it at first until I went back and watched it. And it was during, I think, the AOP match. Um, yeah, he, the bar versus yeah, yeah, he stands up in his certified G Enzo Amore <laughs> gear and starts chanting his their opening line. And you tell me that you don't care about wrestling and you don't care about WWE, yet you literally walk through your entire gimmick, and then this security guard just tunes him Demoed. and just drags him out. And to me, it's, How a, you doing? it's a low. Because don't say that you you don't care and then bring up your entire gimmick. If you had just sat there in the audience and did something else that wasn't like where you were wearing a shirt that sold your new persona or whatever your rapper name is, or you sold your, your, your trying to market your album, all for it. Great. You're doing what you need to do. But the fact that you wear your Enzo Amore shirt – Actually, he's wearing the I'm doing great shirt. 
Oh, okay. There you I go. Guess usually, it's how, how you doing. I guess it's I'm yeah. doing great. Uh, and and then you're chanting everything. It's just it's pathetic to me. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and and thankfully, WD didn't bring it up. Uh, the security guard squashed it pretty quickly. It allowed everybody to kind of move on. It didn't. It only really created a distraction for those individuals right around him. Yep. Um, so which didn't, you know, to the credit of of the bar and AOP that it didn't ruin their match. Yep. Uh, they were able to carry through. So that's my low for the week. Uh, or last couple weeks, I guess. Uh, I just wanted to make sure everyone, if you have a chance, check it out. It's a little hilarious. Um, there's a couple of different videos around. Um, one where he's getting taken out. Uh, one from right up front. One you can see if you rewatch the pay per view, and then one from off the side where he's getting yelled at by the security guard. Um, but yeah, so that's it for for our highs, lows, and then for this week some mediums. Uh, so after the break, we are going to break down. Uh, Fire Pro Wrestling, uh, and whether or not it's something that you should invest your time and or money in. I love video games. <laughs> video games are so fun. All right, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, guys. See you after the break. And we're back. Thanks very much for uh, staying with us. So we wanted to uh, just talk about uh, another wrestling video game. I know that we had previously done a review on WWE 2K19. Uh, this time around, we're going to do Fire Pro Wrestling, which is the port. I played on the PlayStation 4. It is the port of the PC game, which is kind of a cult following uh, due to its, uh, you know, kind of customization and, and um, ability to kind of add your own wrestlers in a, in a much easier fashion than say on WWE. Um, so first things first, I kind of wanted to say you can't compare it to WWE 2K19. <laughs> it just, it doesn't match up at all. Um, this one is very, you know, eight bit, maybe 16 bit, uh, graphics, um, versus the ultra realism of WWE. Um, you don't have the, uh, announcers and all that kind of extra stuff that has come that people have come to know and love about 2K. Uh, this one is New Japan specific, uh, which is a nice change. Um, it does offer quite a bit of customization in terms of you can create your own belts, you can create your own wrestlers. Um, they do have a story mode. They have different styles of matches, which is nice from the 2K uh, game. So you have your death matches, your barbed wire. Um, rings and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, you have your, your new Japan characters that you're, that a major fan would know. So you have your bullet club in, in Kenny Omega and Tomatanga. Um, you have some of the other Japanese guys like, uh, Naito, uh, off the top of my head. Um, so you have a, a wide variety of new Japan guys. Uh, however, um, the game is for me is not good. No, um, no, it uh, it's a lot of timing. So I tried the tutorial, and the tutorial took me forever just to try and get a perfect grapple. Um, and unlike in WWE, where your ring moves are a lot different, this one was very much like you push a button to grapple, and then you have to push another button. If you don't push another button in time, the other guy gets it. Um, so there's not a whole lot of controlling the match. It is literally okay. back and forth timing. So if you do one move, th there's nothing to say that you can instantly string along a bunch of moves because the other guy might just turn over and time it better than you. Uh, it also was really awkward to try and get them lined up so that you could 
either hit them or grapple with them. Okay. Um, because it was on a 3D space, but not really 3D in the way that WWE is, uh, where you feel like the characters are 3D. Do you remember playing the uh, Royal Rumble on Super Nintendo? Uh, yeah. Almost kind of how you needed to be in front of the person. So it was yeah. kind of similar so to that. So think of it that way, but think of it on an angle. Okay. So okay. it wasn't like, it wasn't side, it was on an angle. Like the screens, the ring's kind of on a slight turn. So instead of like a square, square circle, square ring, it's kind of almost like the side diamond shape yeah. up above angle. Like, okay. That kind of angle. Okay. So it was just, it was really hard to, to get control of it. Um, it was so frustrating for me that I didn't even want to. Uh, I tried the career mode. I got through like, I couldn't get through the first match. Really? Um, yeah, I just, you know, and I, and I tried the death matches, but I mean, you weren't really doing anything. You throw a guy into these mines and then he, there's an explosion, but he's not <laughs> an explosion. Yeah. He's not dead. <laughs> he just comes back. And so, you know, I just, I didn't really get it. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a game that um, if you absolutely detest WWE, then here's your alternative. Cause here's there isn't a lot of, if any other wrestling games out there. Okay. Um, or if you're a, a, a lover of New Japan, then absolutely, I mean, this is for you. Um, but don't expect it to even try and compete with um, with WWE. There is an online component. I didn't even bother trying it. Um, you know, I was thankful enough for our public library who had this game available to rent. Oh, so, uh, shout out to the public library. Yeah, so I didn't have to pay anything, uh, which was nice, but Again, it's just it's a, a big game on PC. Uh, it's very popular there. Maybe it does operate better on the um, you know in terms of the space, you know the buttoning, the mechanics, and everything like that on the computer. Um, but you know, as we're talking, Mark's looking at the kind of the demo uh, advertisement for it. And yeah, we're on the uh, website right now. Yeah, like you know, it's the move sets are there. Like when you watch the videos, they have all sorts of neat move sets. Um, there's also no way of like getting out of a pin. You either are or you're not. Yeah. Uh, there's also no way, or at least I couldn't figure out a way of breaking a submission. I at one point in time, I was just kind of simming a match to see what would happen, and the guy put in a submission, um, and the timer goes, but it was at least 45 seconds of just watching the submission <laughs> and nothing happening. Yeah. So you know, it was just uh, you know, it was a game that really isn't for me. Um, I don't. I want to play games to have fun. I don't want to be frustrated. So right now it's a full price game. It's, you know, 70 bucks or whatever. So I would say, yeah, definitely wait your time, wait for it to come all the way down. If it's something you really want to try, um, go for it. Otherwise just stick to the WWE 2K19 and you'll have a a lot more fun with that. Well, I almost seem like, you know, just kind of comparing them online right now, you know, looking at some of the gameplay and the images and you actually, you even look at the Royal Rumble on the Super Nintendo it's quite similar in a way. Obviously, the the graphics are much more enhanced, um, and I will say for a simplistic, almost you know, if you kind of look at how the graphics are, they, they are a little bit more enhanced. But it looks like it it, could, it was a game that could be on one of the older consoles. Um, but it's actually quite similar in in the sense, just a little bit more advanced. But that's crazy. Yeah, I think if I am correct, it is an old game that they've revamped. Is it? Uh, yeah, I think so. I remember seeing something when you uh, first told me about it. Yeah, so you know, I think it is. And that's maybe why the style is the way it is. It, uh, it's almost a revival of sorts. Um, but you know, all in all, I mean, I really wouldn't worry too much about it unless you know the New Japan era 
uh, tickles your fancy. However, with the ability for the you know creations within um, W2K19 <clears throat> and the community that has those, you can get almost all of these guys in a ring. You can create a ring that looks like a New Japan ring. People have created belts that look like New Japan belts because they have that unique style where it's all one color, where it's all gold or all silver. Right. Um, it's an iconic look. Uh, but yeah, so you can cer- certainly recreate those themes within um, within W2K19. So I, I honestly feel like that's your best bet. And, and uh, you know, if anybody else can convince me otherwise, I'd be happy to hear it. But uh, I can't imagine that anybody, and if anybody says that, this game is better than 2K. Well, that's because they just purely hate anything WWE produces, and it doesn't really matter what they produce; they'll hate it nonetheless. No, it's and, and wrestling games are hard, and you know, and you and you said it best at first, where you know I haven't played it yet, but it's almost as if every you know WWE is almost you know done what Call of Duty does now, where it's a yearly game. And every year they have found ways, you know, especially with how creative WWE can be in the sense of the types of eras, the types of gameplays, the spotlights. Um, you know, even though those are little twists each year, at the end of the day, it's still almost just a little bit of a roster change and they're in the ring with the same type of matches. They have found a way to continuously, you know, entice the customer with, you know, I remember when the first, you know, playing it over and over again, and then they came out with the NXT. You know, and I was, and obviously being a huge wrestling uh, figure, excuse me, and in the collector myself to see the Finn Balor statue. Okay. You know, a, a signed Shinsuke card. Okay. You know, and then the gameplay, it's, it's so hard, especially with, you know, if this is a revamp, and it, it definitely is a revamped game. And it almost looks back then in the, it almost looks like the exact same game in the same format, just enhanced graphics. Uh, and obviously enhance roster too with having Kenny Omega and everyone else. And I'm sure it'll be a very popular game because heck those being the elite fans will pick up anything, even if they're not video game fans, you know, they will pick that up purely because the bullet club, Kenny and everyone else is in there. So I'm excited to try it, but it almost feels like WWE has ruined wrestling video games for everyone because of, you know, how incredible, not just their graphics are, but their, how smooth their gameplay is. So no, I'll uh, I'll definitely give my take when I do get a chance to play it uh, sometime near in the future. Sounds great. So uh, so that's that for uh, for Fire Pro Wrestling uh, or Fire No Wrestling. Uh, hang ah. on, <laughs> hang on tight. Uh, after the break, we'll come back with the Mount Rushmore of Mount Rushmores. <laughs> no wrestling. Hang tight. <laughs> oh, this is Thanks for sticking around, guys. Uh, so after we finished our Fire No Wrestling uh, segment, I'm never going to give that one up. Uh, we wanted to uh, take some time to kind of talk about our Mount Rushmore's. It was something that uh, Mark and I have been hemming and hawing about for a while. And we thought it'd be a, a very interesting uh, comparison, conversation, maybe an argument uh, of, you know, where we thought, uh, you know, who are our top four uh, and, and, you know, and kind of why. So, uh, so Mark, first things first. What went into your thought process when you were deciding your Mount Rushmore? Oh my god! So we, uh, I think we've been talking about Mount Rushmore. I think you, um, even before we started the podcast, when we were just thinking about doing the podcast, you mentioned you know it would be really cool one day just doing the Mount Rushmore, an episode where the majority of the time is spent talking about and these. Like, here's your Mount Rushmore, and here's why. And 
and I think both of us, and I know myself specifically, I've been so tied into thinking about it all the time. And it really took me only up until maybe today to finally decide. So my thought process really went in different directions. And I don't want to say that I changed my mind, but I changed, I continuously changed my approach on why did I choose this individual and what was I doing it for? And at the beginning, my mindset was really, you know, okay, well, here's my Mount Rushmore. Here's are some popular individuals. Here's some people that I really enjoyed. And then I kind of took a step back going, well, no, 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 no. Like, why am I choosing it that way? Why, why, why did I choose this individual over that individual? Well, what if I want to, but no, 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 I like this person more. And that's just a toggle back and forth. I was going through in my head. And, and then eventually only as of this week that I finally come to the conclusion, listen, the Mount Rushmore of, of my, like my Mount Rushmore shouldn't have to be anything about a popularity contest. It, it's purely, you know, someone can have James Ellsworth on their Mount Rushmore. I'll never touch saying, that person ever again. If that happens, absolutely, they'd be banned from, from life. But if that's how they feel, that's how they feel. And, you know, it's, it's like people saying maybe Brock Lesnar's on their list and that could be an easy one. Cause he's done a lot of stuff over the last 15 years of being in wrestling you know, but in some, but I guess that's the whole beautiful part about around much more is it can be an agree to disagree, but it's how you feel. So my four uh, that I chose were purely four individuals that when I close my eyes and someone asks me, "What got you into wrestling? Why did you continue to stay into wrestling?" These are the four people. So um, I guess I'll kick off the first one. Yeah, go for it. So in no particular order, this isn't a specific rank. Uh, the first person on my list is Shawn Michaels. Okay. Now, that can be easy. People can be saying, well, of course, he's known to be one of the greatest of all time. Very cliche. Now, a little bit of backstory to why Shawn Michaels. So I remember, you know, I had already been watching wrestling for quite some time now because I really started watching wrestling pretty consistently when I was five years old. Now, I don't necessarily remember all those times, but I remember it being as early as that from my parents and everything else. I remember in 1994-95, and so I had already been watching wrestling for a good four or five years at this point. You know, this was around the time where Shawn Michaels was going from the heartbreak kid, the heel, into the babyface. This was around the time where storytelling and, you know, we always joke about, like, you know, it's still real to me, damn it. And, you know, it really was where, you know, you kind of, even as at that age, I kind of knew that it was a little bit of a fix to it. But they're doing such great writing, and as a kid, and all kids are very naive, I really bought into it. And I remember they were doing stories about, you know, you know, like uh, I think it was against Owen Hart where he had a kick in behind the head and there was some sympathy there and you didn't really know, was he really hurt? But they played the injury, his head injury, and he was out for quite some time. And then I remember what I, one of the biggest matches I was really looking forward to was the Royal Rumble. And I remember the 1996 Royal Rumble in San Antonio I remember, you know, the, the hype up building towards it was Shawn Michaels is coming back. He's returning after being away for so long. And I, as, as a fan, I had missed him. And then I remember the feet. Was uh, this all he was still dealing with his drug issues? Uh, I believe a little bit of that. And the bar, around that time. And the bar fight thing? Yeah. Is that, that, that around that time? Uh, around that time is when we really, really started to see it. Uh, hmm? uh, we're trying out a new mic, by the way. Hopefully the sound sounds good. Uh, Kyle's being a gem and holding for me. <laughs> um, but no, to get back. So I remember that really stuck with me that he was injured. And I really felt that. And I don't even know. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. Shawn Michaels' career 
Um, his personal life is quite well documented on his struggles. And I don't exactly know what he was going through during that specific time, but I remember him coming back really got me excited. And so I was, you know, we, um, illegally, I'm sure everyone back in the the, the mid late nineties, you had the black box where if you had the black box and if anyone in Canada or probably around the world knows what that means, you had the black black box. It means that you got all pay-per-views for free. Um, but now you got to subscribe to the WWE Network, not a sponsor. Um, but no, but I remember him coming back and I remember him, you know, he, he was number one. You know, that that was the one where, um, you know, he went start to finish, I believe. And um, was it the one that he went start to finish? Yeah, that was one he went start to finish. So... Throughout the match, number one, just just thinking that it was an amazing feat and that he did that, going from one, and especially to WWE does a really good job of hyping everything. Like you know, number twenty seven is the most popular number, and you know, and everything else. But not only did he win, it was the fashion that he won, where I felt very emotional because you know, Big Daddy Cool Diesel's his friend, Big Daddy Cool and Shawn Michaels were the last two. He super kicks Big Daddy Cool Diesel out, huge bump over the top rope. And for them to be celebratory at the end where they kind of went in, you know, and did a big old high five and hug, like I'm, I'm very proud of you and everything else. And, and so the, the defining moment was watching, you know, uh, WrestleMania 12 in uh, Anaheim where it was the Iron Man match. So not only was I a huge fan, but I was, I, even as a young fan, and at that time I was about 12 years old, I was just turned 12 and, even at that time, I always thought to myself, like, how are they going to put on something so good for that long? How is that going to turn out? Even as I do now, I, sometimes I overthink things. Sometimes I, I, I drive too much into it. And, but I remember watching it. And I don't think I blinked for the hour that it went on. And if anyone who has never actually watched the match, go back and watch it. Because for one hour, and that sounds really boring, and I don't know if most people can put on an hour match in WWE and make it exciting for the entire time without there being some kind of run in or spot of a delay but they went at it and and it's the quickest hour you've ever seen but to the entire hype up of the boyhood dream and everything else as a fan i was hooked i was you know like vicariously living through him in that dream and i wanted him to win the title so badly and when it happened i remember you know as a 12 year old boy i was crying because it was so emotional for me because i'd watch him go as a heel and i hated him because you blew the bad guys and then I remember him going through and then he becoming a baby face. He got hurt. He was away. I, it sucked that my favorite wrestler at the time was gone. And then to see him come back, it was so exciting. And then to see him win the Royal Rumble, it was so exciting. And then, you know, uh, I will say he's not on my Mount Rushmore, but one that I would say is an honorable mention is Bret Hart. You know, being from Canada, watching him at a very early age, you know, the winged eagle belt, you know, Bret Hart really carried that, that belt with pride. And how is he going to be? Bret Hart at WrestleMania, like Bret Hart's the man, you know, Sean's never been the champion and to see going to overtime, Gorilla Monsoon, nope, there must be a winner, sudden death, super kick, boom, one, two, three. And even though there was a part where he says, get this a-hole out of my effing ring, (laughs) which you learn later that he told Bret Hart afterwards, but it was such a celebratory moment because you kind of, the whole story wrapped into the boyhood dream did come true. And as a kid and as a young boy myself, that was very inspiring. And then to kind of watch his career and going on against battles at In Your House against Mankind, the SummerSlam against Vader, uh, Survivor Series, um, 
against uh, in 97 against Sid where he lost his belt and then go obviously the Montreal screw job where that's kind of a little bit changed because especially where Sean was quickly moving away from wrestling and taking his time off but Sean overall to wrap up I'm rambling now and I could talk about Sean Michaels forever about all the different matches and I told myself I wasn't going to do this but that's honestly the reason why you know it was purely the story and the character wrapped you up and I was already a fan, but that's what made me at that time. He was my favorite wrestler and still to this day, one of my favorite wrestlers. That's why I kind of a couple weeks ago and we're talking about him being at Crown Jewel. You know, I couldn't hate him. No matter what he did, it was great because of those old memories. So, so that, that's me. Uh, I'm going to stop rambling now because we have several more of these to go through. Uh, here, let me hold this for you, buddy. Um, but that's my first Mount Rushmore, Shawn Michaels. Um, I, and I will say, guys, even before this, uh, Kyle and I didn't necessarily sh- – we actually didn't share who our Mount Rushmores are with each other. So, Kyle, I'm actually quite excited to hear who is your first on the list. So, to start, I, I kind of went through the thought process of – and I was in the same boat with you. Like, I – how, what's the criteria? Do I go with the obvious choices just because they make the most sense to everybody else? Right. Um, you know, so I kind of went through with it and I thought I'm going to look at their entire body of their career and their impact to the wrestling that I enjoy. Um, so I don't have the same history necessarily as you and, or, or the memory to remember all the fine details. So for me, a lot of it was just the biggest impact. Right. Um, you know, you could go with that. I would never do this uh, cause I'm not a terrible human being. I could go with Goldberg and be like, Oh, his streak. Uh, he's just so dominating. Um, you know, but that's the idea, right? You wouldn't necessarily remember, I remember his, his individual matches, but, his impact as, as, as a whole. Um, so for me, but the big thing was, is I would like to look at their entire body of their career, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, which is what helps me understand, uh, you know, who I wanted to pick. So right. I will go with my first choice. And obviously in no particular order is stone cold, Steve Austin. Um, so for me, stone cold was the original, Bad guy that everyone loved. It was cool to cheer for him. He flip-flopped back and forth being part of, uh, you know, the bad guy, the heels, and being attached with Vince McMahon, and then to going against Vince McMahon, and back and forth. And, you know, you have this feud where he brings out the beer truck and the cement truck and all of these iconic moments in his feud with Vince McMahon. And And honestly, I could have easily put Vince McMahon in my... 100%. Um, I didn't because I just, again, it felt too easy to me. Right. Um, I think he's almost a a given. Right. If they have, if we have a a Mount Rushmore of wrestling, Vince McMahon is the rock you've built it on. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but for me, you know, I always wanted an Austin 316 shirt. I never did. Uh, My parents didn't really condone wrestling. uh, So I didn't really get all the history and all that development. So for me, it was, okay, who stands out and so and stone cold and in his austin 316 says i just kicked your ass is just like whoa like who is this guy because i remember him as the ringmaster yep and i was like this is terrible (laughs) not that it was terrible but it's more like i don't get this guy who is this guy i don't care and i didn't know him from wcw or from ecw i knew him mainly as stone cold steve austin he you know was so different and he was more of and it's funny because i know that he's a very technical wrestler a very good wrestler, but he always came across as more of a brawler, um, which I liked. And I liked that he was edgy and he was willing to kind of do whatever he wants. And so for me, Stone Cold was a very easy pick because he just epitomized the attitude error for me. And 
he is one of the guys that I've always loved and will always love. And even to this day, I think if it wasn't for his injuries, he's the kind of person that could still fit in to this day and age and do very well in in that, in that persona, which ultimately is just an extension of who he is as opposed to being a full blown gimmick. So, which is also what was nice is that allows him to allow him to, be real with it or make it seem like it was real. So, you know, when I, when he hated McMahon, I legitimately thought he hated Miss McMahon. And as it turns out, as I was listening on the judgment day, uh, podcast with, uh, Bruce Pritchard and he, he actually hit Vince McMahon with a legitimate, uh, bedpan. Uh, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, he just grabbed something and whacked him with it. And it was just kind of that, like, you know, he just, he really took it to the limit and was like, he was the guy you wanted to cheer for because he was against the bad guy. And when he was with the bad guy, you're like, I don't care. I'm still going to cheer for him because <laughs> he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. So, so you know, for me, that was, that was numero uno on my, uh, my Mount Rushmore. No, that's awesome. Um, so actually I'll quickly segue um, to, oh, thank you very much, sir. Um, I'll segue to my second one and uh, this can be a quick one as well, but um, on my list is also Stone Cold oh. Steve Austin. Um, and you know what? Hundred percent couldn't agree more with everything that you said. You know, um, to kind of give some quick points on why it was it for me was, and it once again sounds very cliche, but I watched it live. Was um, and and I will say even before this point is that I had watched him in WCW um, when he was part of the Dangerous Alliance with Paul Heyman um, when he went to WCW with Paul Heyman. Um, you know, his, his, his time as a Hollywood Blondes with uh, Brian Pillman. When he came in as the ringmaster, I was excited because I had maybe not known everything about him, but I knew who he was. And it was a very different look. He had very long blonde hair. And when he came in as the ringmaster, it was like it's still a little bit of hair, buzzed on top. Um, you know, he walked around with Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, which, which was a really tough position because simply it was to give him heat and to give him credibility with being with Ted DiBiase, you know, a legend in, in his own right. But to hold the million dollar belt was arrogance and that's what they wanted. And he was a fan. You hit the, you hit the point very underrated, but if you've never seen the original stuff from way back in the early nineties, of Stone Cold in WCW, um, ECW, and even as a ringmaster, very technical wrestler, very map based wrestler. That guy could, you know, you would almost think that it was like a, a bald version of Bret Hart where he knew what he was doing in there. Um, but then he came to terms of the Stone Cold gimmick in 96 at the King of the Ring. And I remember watching it live and I remember watching through, I remember when Mark Merrill kicked him in the face and he left and he was all bloody and you got like, wow, like what happened's happening here? Jake the Snake cut the religious promo on him. And then you saw him come out, beat Jake the Snake in the finals of the King of the Ring. And, and then he cut the promo. And for me, you know, I guess uh, I, and yeah, a lot of people can look back and they remember the video and they can look, read it, like watch it over again. And, and if they didn't watch it then live, they can watch it again and kind of see what they, oh, that's what people were talking about. And, but watching it live, I remember I got goosebumps because that was the very first time in the history of the business that a heel cut a promo on a baby face, a religious baby, well, religious at the time, religious baby face, and the crowd went nuts. And it was, you hurry like you, every, he was cutting his promo, there's booze everywhere. And then you just saw me, you, know, you could talk about your Bibles, you could talk about your Johns or whatever, you know, but Austin 316 says, I just kicked your ass. And then he walked away and his music hit. And then it was still the ringmaster music where it was like, bang. And I was like, but then you saw everyone shut up for a quick second. 
And then you saw people like, oh my God, because the thing about Stone Cold, and if you listen to his podcast now, or if you watched his work, he's got that menacing, convincing, threatening voice that when he gets mad or if he gets hyped up, you're intimidated and you feel it. And then, of course, everything that you said around his time with Vince McMahon, his time as, I remember, that when WrestleMania 14, when he won his first title, and even though his career wasn't as long as he would want it to be, his feud is with The Rock, back-to-back WrestleManias, great matches, his time against McMahon, his time with Vince McMahon, you know, everything all together was a beautiful career, and it ended way too short than what it should have, but if, once again, if you've never seen him in his heyday, go on the network, go on YouTube, take a look at it because his matches and his promos and how invested he was with the storylines, you know, and plus there's a lot of really cool things that you didn't know that he did. He was a former tag team champion with Shawn Michaels. He was a tag team champion with, you know, Triple H at one point. And, you know, he's held some, some belts that you don't really remember him as a tag team champion in WWE, WWF at the time. But it's anything he did, even though it was like Shawn Michaels and him were, you know, tag team champions, you don't really remember it, but go watch it. They won the belts together, and then that's pay-per-view. It was tag team champ versus tag team champ, but they just beat the living heck out of each other. And even those types of matches that you don't talk about were historic, and they were great. And then, of course, the match with Owen Hart where he broke his friggin' neck, and he still found a way. It was the most, and he even says it himself, it was the dirtiest roll-up in the history of the world. But he, the fact that he did it, and Owen did all of his work to sell it, was absolutely phenomenal. So, but no, absolutely. I, I don't know how you can't have Steve Austin on your list. Sounds cliche with Sean and, and Steve on mine, but overall, that's a, a great list so far. All right. So that was our first agreement. First agreement. Um, so our, my second name uh, is the goat, uh, Chris Jericho. And so, you know, I thought about this one and I I look at, and and with Chris to me, it really was about his entire body of work. Um, So I didn't know Chris Jericho in ECW. I knew Chris Jericho in WCW. I knew Chris Jericho was part of the cruiserweights. Um, For me, you know, you look at this man of a thousand and four holds in order to be better than Dean Malenko and how he would just come up with random names and he just kept going and, and then his feud with Goldberg and, you know, the JPS with Jericho, Jericho personal security. And, and even that body work at WCW where, you know, he was left to his own devices. And, uh, and so it showed his real creativity. And then, and this was, I was still, you know, I didn't have that background of WCW versus WWE and in, in their backstories and everything else. So when he came in as Y2J, that opening, like that intent anticipation, it was just, it was huge. And so when he, when it came out and everyone popped and I was like, Oh my God, I saw this guy before. And it was just, it was an incredible, uh, you know, setup. And it was just so moved by the impact of this one guy going right after the rock. Right. Like, and there, uh, this was the rock, you know, nearing the, the, the peak of his full blown 100%. ownership of anything he wants to do. And yeah. so, and then they go and they make him the first ever undisputed champion which says a lot for a guy when you look at who he was up against. Um, well, you know, Stone Cold and The Rock in the same night. Yeah. yeah. And then I, you know, then I move across his entire body of work and, and you know, his Intercontinental Championships and, and, and things like that. And then I look at, he disappears and then he comes back. And But every time he comes back, he makes an impact. And 
it doesn't necessarily have to be something small or, um, or even huge. It was just like when he was there, everybody wanted to watch and the creativity and his last run here with, uh, you know, I was concerned when he came back at first with that weird shield thing when, uh, Roman had the monster, right. whatever it was. And I was like, Oh, this is a little odd. It seemed awkward. And I feel like it was just cause it was thrown together. But then when he came back and he, he wrestled against AJ and it was a great introduction for AJ, oh, yes. um, you know, without impacting anybody else. And then for him to connect with Kevin Owens and you have this, this instant chemistry and it was hilarious. And they had the list and, they had the festival friendships and just, you know, he did that so well and so easily. Um, and we're talking when he's in his late forties yep. and, and then he steps away and he's got such influence and such respect in the wrestling business that even Vince is kind of like, okay, you go do whatever you want to do. Yep. And then he shows up in new Japan and all in, and he's, he's still rolling and he's got these, these characters and he's, he's reinventing himself again. You know, he's got that shirt coming that, that's out for juvenile diabetes. And um, and so with that, it talks about kind of his different characters or whatever. And he had like 12 different faces of Jericho or whatever it was. And so it just goes to show like he continually reinvents himself. And then to top that off, you have this cruise where he is bringing the wrestling community together in a way that, you know, not very few people have. And it's thinking to myself, like, how do you not? continue this like, this is incredible that he just keeps going and he keeps going and he's either nearing his 50s if he's not there yet and very close you know he, he doesn't need to be there for a long time but every time he shows up somewhere he makes a huge statement a huge impact and so for me th- it was easy to put chris jericho on my list uh where i think some of the people <laughs> on your list oh yeah i didn't oh, even notice oh. that pun unintended um but yeah for me it was an easy one that i think some people would would definitely disagree. It wasn't an obvious choice for some people, but for me, when you look at his full body of work, it was a no brainer. No, hundred percent. And you know what? I would say um, very close to being on my list <laughs> list. Um, you know, the biggest thing about Chris Jericho is, you know, you cannot, and actually just looking up right now, he's 48 years old and to see what he's done in wrestling for almost 30 years, no one can, no one could argue that he's probably he's easily the hardest working man in professional wrestling today. You know, you look at the work ethic of the rock, but even the rock is not in wrestling nearly as consistent at, at anything. And, you know, you look at Fozzie's band, you look at the things that he's doing within WWE and even, even, even between his new Japan run, making those appearances and, and everything else. And, you know, it's funny, I think back on Chris Jericho and, you know, you're right when, August 1999 came and he, you know, we saw the millennium countdown. We saw, you know, Y2J be born and he, you know, coming out against the rock was absolutely unheard of because you don't see these outsiders that don't make their way up. Usually see these individuals who are on the WWE, WWF roster and they, they do their time. They put their time in and, you know, they make their way into a spot to see Chris Jericho kind of come in, introducing himself within against the rock uh was absolutely amazing and you know thinking about all the different types of stuff he's been able to do even though some things are more um you know popular than others uh you know looking at even different tag teams and he's made it work uh you know the j i remember what is it the um one with the big show the jera show 
you know, and, and everything else. And, you know, thinking about how he became the first ever undisputed champion was, you know, mind blowing, especially to, and as you said, uh, defeating the rock and stone cold in the same night, but not just in the same night, but during a while the rock and stone cold, sorry, the rock and stone cold were at the highest peak of their career. You know, it wasn't, they were at the, they were at the bitter end or they were on their way out. It was while they were the hottest and, you know, and he, and he held it right, you know, holding those two belts. And it's definitely, you know, a defining moment in wrestling that he will always have. And I remember actually, it was funny, quite a few years ago when John Cena and Randy Orton were combining the belts again to make the undisputed. Um, I don't know if they were doing it on purpose to try to make it seem more memorable, but I remember them saying like, oh, you know, uh, Randy Orton and John Cena will face each other for the first ever undisputed champion. And I remember Jericho was on Twitter right after being like, excuse me? Like, <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, how do you forget about that? So, but no, you know, I can go on all, on all day about Chris Jericho, hands off, you know, um, hardest working man in wrestling. And it, it's, it's crazy to see that even now at his later end of his career, almost 30 years in the business, he's doing some of the greatest things in his business. So that's, that's great. All right. So what is number three? On your list. So number three on my list, um, you know, very much, very much a, a no brainer for me. Um, but whenever you have a greatest list, you have to put Ric Flair on that list. Now, for me, obviously, I didn't watch Ric Flair, you know, in the 70s and early 80s when he was <clears throat> at his one of at his hottest. But I, I remember watching it in the 90s. Uh, tape trading was something we did a lot of. I remember my father, he had a friend that got me into tape trading. And I remember him, like, obviously, like, you knew your main wrestlers. And at 92, um, I, I got the 92 Royal Rumble. And that was my very first introduction. And I was about seven years old at the time, seven, eight years old. And I remember at that time, you know, Ric Flair was coming into the WWE around and the... Royal Rumble, and we've seen it another time since, but this Royal Rumble was for the undisputed world championship match. And I remember the backstage promos where I know they're trying to do it a little bit more now than they did before, but those backstage segments with Gene Okerlund were absolutely phenomenal. And I remember, because I believe at the 92 Royal Rumble, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the, the real big faction at that time was... Bobby the Brain Heenan, Mr. Perfect, and Ric Flair. And they're just kind of, you know, the confidence and the oozing of, you know, even though a heel is speaking, you feel that confidence and you feel, you know, like I will be the undisputed champ. I am the undisputed champion. That was my very first introduction into Ric Flair. And then to, plus to watch him um, win the world title in the 1992 Royal Rumble. Um and especially to the, the fashion, where it was a little bit of a heelish fashion, but uh, I believe Sid and Hulk Hogan were very much against each other, um, you know, battling within each other. Thank you. Um, and I believe, what was it? Uh, Sid eliminated Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan then grabbed Sid's arm, and then Ric Flair got the elimination. And even though it wasn't necessarily something that it wasn't uh, someone on Ric Flair's side, it wasn't like a, a Bobby Heenan or a Mr. Perfect that helped them win that way. But the fact that he still won in a heel way, even when he wasn't even doing anything heelish, 
to then, you know, trade tapes and watch his old time, you know, his old Crockett days. And, you know, while he was the, in the territory days when he was the, he was the true traveling world champion and to watch his, you know, um, his promos against Dusty Rhodes. Incredible. YouTube, you know, 70s and 80s, Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes promos. Whew. You know, and you you saw it back and forth where if Ric Flair bought, you know, a fur coat, you know, Dusty Rhodes bought one. You know, back and forth. When one would do one, and it was also, but even though they, they kind of were showcasing how much money they made, they still had, you know, the... Um, you know, the nature boy wearing the suits, the, the, you know, the wheeling and dealing, jet flying nature boy. But then you had, you know, Dusty Rhodes where, you know, obviously his whole part of the gimmick was a plumber's son. And, he, you know, he's wearing cowboy boots, a pair of jeans, and just a brangled, torn up um, plaid button up. But the way that Dusty and Flair went at each other, you know, with promos, I remember watching it. I was about 10 years old when I was watching it. And I, I didn't understand it because I'm like, well, that was a long time ago and wrestling should be getting better over time. So I should be watching the best wrestling. These people ain't doing what these guys are doing promo wise in the ring. Who else can take face plants? Who else can throw themselves over the turnbuckle upside down and it'd be believable? Ric Flair does. You know, a guy that goes on the top rope and I think he only hit it once or twice. You knew when he was going up on the top rope, you knew he was getting thrown off it real quick. But everything that Ric Flair was, you know, I almost feel that Ric Flair, if he, he did so good of a job becoming a heel, that he could have been loved a lot more as a heel, kind of like what How Stone Cold was, but he just did that good of a job as a heel where you just hated him. You know, you look at matches, you know, uh, obviously one that never became, um, but, you know, the dream match had always been Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair at WrestleMania that we never got. Um, you eventually got it in WCW. I can't remember if it was at Starcade or Halloween Havoc or, or, or whatnot, but you know, you look at, you know, Ricky Steamboat feud, heck very underrated, but his feud with Lex Luger, you know, very, very, very underrated. And if anything, it's what brought Lex Luger to a higher pinnacle to be able to do something so much more in the early nine, early to mid nineties in WWF, uh, with Lex Express and, you know, so overall, I guess I can go on all, all day, and I'm, I know I'm jumping back and forth between timelines, but, you know, when I think of the greatest, it's Ric Flair, and even to kind of see what he was able to do, even over the last several years, you know, his match against another individual on my Mount Rushmore, Shawn Michaels, you know, I, I think Ric Flair was in his late 50s or early 60s during that match, and he, he was great. You know what I mean? Because it was a nature boy. And even though he might not have done all the things he was able to do 30, 40 years before that, it didn't matter because it was him. And so someone to be able to put that type of a feeling into a character and, you know, bring you along for the ride, even though he might not be able to do what he usually did, that gives credit to what Ric Flair was able to do. So, so that's me. That's so, so far I got, I got Shawn Michaels, I got Stone Cold and I have Ric Flair um, as my top three so far on my Mount Rushmore. Very excited to hear your number three. So it's interesting. Cause you know, I know that Ric Flair is one of those, obvious answers right. uh it wasn't for me mainly because i didn't grow up watching wrestling in wcw um so i wasn't really aware of the rick flair at the highest peak um i only had known him as kind of the older rick flair and then i stopped watching wrestling for a while when rick flair had kind of entered back into wwe and uh the Shawn michaels match i only really know from from footage 
on the network, um, you know, where Sean apologized before he kicks him in the face. Um, so, you know, I'm sorry, I love you. Yeah. So, you know, so for me, it wasn't really the, the obvious answer. Um, but it's funny in one of the references you made, uh, my other third choice is dusty roads. So the oldest memory I have of dusty roads is polka dotted dusty roads and Sapphire. And I, I just thought, who is this giant gentleman in polka dots and just, you know, loving it and owning it. And so it was interesting to kind of go back and understand a little bit more of the story behind it. Um, but also to be able to go back and, you know, when, when he passed away and they did his kind of career and you look at the impact when he was the plumber's son and his feud with, uh, with Ric Flair. And what I found really fascinating about him was that he wasn't your typical wrestler when you looked at him. And so to be able to be at the top of his game in, you know, in Florida and, and coming up through, I think it was AWA and NWA and all those things, yep. um, to be that guy and still be, you know, one of the best in the business is pretty impressive. And then, you know, to see him as he's as he's mentoring his his, you know, uh, Dustin and Cody, and then the other piece that kind of capped it off for me is his legacy after he stopped wrestling and the work he did in NXT. And when you interviewed some of these current W superstars and they call themselves Dusty's kids. Now I understand there's only, you know, Cody and Dustin and, and their sisters. So I know that they're not really his kids, but it goes to show the impact that he had on where our business or where the business is going now. Right. You know, your Kevin Owens, your Natalia's, your Seth's like all these guys. And so for him to be able to be involved in, where the future of the business is going is really what helped me solidify him on my top three. It was, you know, before my time and the impact he did there, when I, you know, one of my oldest memories, which is still a WWF blue and yellow, uh, Vince McMahon and gorilla monsoon on the mic, um, Sapphire and, and polka dot at dusty roads are the things that I've, one of the oldest memories I have. And to me, that stands out when, when you can say that, he's up there with, you know, at the time Hogan and, and, and warrior and macho man, like to think of this guy is still there, uh, is what would mean it an easy choice for me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really enjoy when they bring back some of the old stuff. I can't, obviously I'm not a person that can sit there and watch old wrestling. Um, unless it was me watching it for the first, second time from already seeing it back then, I have a hard time just going backwards, but I can still see the, you know, what he was able to accomplish in, in that time frame that for me, it was an easy choice to put him as my no, one of that's, my four. That's awesome. And you know, it's funny too, where you look at Dusty Rhodes career and you know, he's, you know, modern day fans may think he's more memorable for his time in WWF, but he only spent, I think he was only there from like 1989 to 1991 or 92. He wasn't there very long and then only really returned in, you know, like over the last several years before his death, you know, being a huge monumental part of NXT promo classes. And obviously, you know, very much credited for bringing NXT to where it is now, where at, at the time NXT was not, NXT is now a brand. Back then it was a, it's still a development, developmental I, I know now, but it's much, much more different than everyone needing to go to promo class and, you know, Dusty really helping you find your niche and not being afraid to be honest with you and not being afraid to also take a leap of faith on you, you know? And, and yeah, it's just with Dusty, his career goes back so far. You know, you look at, 
when he started wrestling in the sixties, you know, you think about how long ago that, that was, and, you know, looking at, you know, Jim Crockett promotions, you know, the NWA territories and the alliances and, you know, it's just absolutely nuts to what he was able to do. And to your point, you know, with not having so much to it, and you know, plumber's son, big gut and big old scar on his belly, you know, he'll say himself was the most handsomest man in the whole world, but it didn't matter. He owned it. You know, they, I remember them, uh, Conrad and Bruce were talking, you know, Conrad would always ask Bruce, like bringing Dusty in and put a polka dots on him. Was that a rib? Like, did you purely do that just to, just to say, you know, stick it to the territories and, you know, here's your guy, but regardless whether it is or not, you know, you put polka dots on him and he, and he did it. He danced around, he danced, Sapphire danced, they danced and sang and they went into the ring. And even though it's funny now where you kind of, you get really upset with the Roman Reigns and the John Cena's and their five moves and the Stone Colds, you know, the Ric Flair's, the Dusty's, they only had several moves themselves you knew Dusty was good for a big slam. You knew he was good for a big spinning spinning wrist, big elbow, you know, a, an elbow off the top rope. You know, he didn't have too, too much to him, but what he did was he told a story in the ring. So, so I'm going to change it up. Oh, 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 what's going on here? Now so, you're throwing me around. So I'm going to change it up because my <laughs> fourth was also the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. What? Um, it was right at the same time. <laughs> So Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, Rick Flair, and Dusty Rhodes. So I couldn't agree with more, and I know I went on a little bit of a rant. But the reason why I'm changing it up, and I know people could say, if that's your most rough, if that's your most rush more, you shouldn't change it up. Blah, 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 blah. So you know, I almost feel like I'm gonna I, I'm gonna change it up only because just to give some more variety than the names that we're talking about to give to give the due. Because the main part of the segment is to really talk about the memorable individuals. Heck, you and me can go to bed tonight or finish this podcast. And if you ask us tomorrow what our Mount Rushmore is, you can easily change. Um, so I would say someone for me, and once again, cliche, but I think both of us have done a little bit of a good job really going into why. Um, but being a kid, being a, you know, really my, my earliest memory as a kid was when I was six, seven years old very vaguely and it's why i can't remember i remember two things i remember wrestling and i remember getting hit in the head really hard with those mcdonald muppet babies that had those big hard eyes that you got as your happy meal toy i remember someone whipping it at me and it really really hurt when i was like six seven years old and i had like a black eye for a month um but hulk hogan for me was what and the reason why i say it and i know it's a lot of people's um, almost in gateway into wrestling, but Hulk Hogan, I credit for being the hand that grabbed me and pulled me into wrestling. And then it's, and it's funny where I very, very much remember. So the individual that, that showed me tape trading and, you know, and my tape trading wasn't as extensive as, you know, how Sam Roberts does it or did it. And, you know, a lot of individuals where I didn't mail them out to people like, you know, fans or from newsletters and everything else. And, but I remember being with my father, and we were at a friend's place. Uh, I think his name was Rico. Like Rico. 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 Suave. No, 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 Coco, Coco, Coco. I believe it was. I believe it was Coco. Beware, Coco, Coco. Beware, uh, Coco. I'm the biggest thing I remember. Coco is uh, he referred to himself in the third person. Amazing. So it was like, oh, Coco doesn't like that. <laughs> Sadly enough, many, many years later, Coco died in the fire. His apartment caught on fire. That's odd, because Coco very, Beware very also odd. had a fire in his place. It was white, so... <laughs> um, anyways, I'm going there. 
Um, so I remember he was show, like I was I was watching like you, I was into wrestling and but I remember he had this big 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 box of tapes and I remember going through it and I was very very young and, but I remember opening up and I want to just make sure when what the exact year was to make sure I'm dating myself right. Uh, <clears throat> one second. Perfect. So I remember it was so my very one of the very first ones. A lot of them had um, they had the old VHSs where you know you bought at the store to use as a recording device, and you took the sticker and you put it on the side and you wrote what was on. There was a bunch of those, but this was the first time I saw an actual purchased one from Coliseum Video, um, and it was WrestleMania three. And when you opened it up. Like it was a double cassette, and that yep. obviously that's very historic for Andre the Giant versus um, Hulk Hogan. Didn't watch it live because it happened in '87. I was two years old, so I'd be lying to you if I said I watched it live, uh, or if I did, I definitely didn't remember it. But I remember him. He was like, "Oh my god!" He's like, "That's you want to borrow that? You got to borrow that." And but I remember because when I opened it up, it was a pop up, so that it was two two black. VHSs together, but when mm-hmm. you opened it up, it was a huge Hulk Hogan that popped up, and it was him mm, just like cool. just busting a flex. I'm actually just gonna try VHS. It's quickly gonna try to find a image here. Come on, someone's gotta have it. But yeah, it was it was this here, but when you opened it up, fail. Come on. But anyways, I'll try to find it and to get better at the social media. There you I'll post, go. I'll post it on Perfect. Twitter. Um, to not have listen to me sit here looking on friggin' Google. But the main thing is I remember seeing it and it was so excitingly terrifying. This man, this huge man in yellow and red, and he's just busting a flex. And I remember seeing it, but then I remember borrowing it and I remember popping it in. And I remember watching it and oh my goodness, the size of the crowd, the buildup. And even though they do a, a, like, they, a, a, I would say, quote unquote, better job now where sometimes they overkill the promo for a lot of their matches, um, you know, to talk about what, why are they, why are they wrestling each other? The feud within how Ted DiBiase, you know, was really kind of trying to buy his way in with Andre the Giant and, and everything else. And, then watching the match, it wasn't the longest match in the world, but to think this human being slammed this 500 plus pound man. And I remember watching that, even though I was watching it many years later, watching it on tape, I was absolutely dumbfounded, absolutely dumbfounded about, you know, what did I just see? Like, what was that that I just saw that, you know, I, I kind of knew about Andre the Giant, but, you know, and I knew about Hulk Hogan, but I didn't know the history of, of them at the time. They really did a great job painting the picture of the history um, as well as, as everything else. And plus, too, there was a bunch of other really good matches on there as well where that's where you had, you know, like the Honky Tonk Man versus Bruce the Barber Beefcake for the Intercontinental title. Uh, the Grudge Match, Ultimate Warrior versus Hercules. That's when they did their little test of strength. That one wasn't so great. <laughs> of course, their Invitational 20-Man Battle Royal, which goes to show that... Even though people get flocked to the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, WrestleMania had Battle Royals even way back before they had it now. But no, so, you know, I have to give it credit where to watch him do, and especially too, you got to give Hulk Hogan credit for evolutionizing everything. 
in the sense of going into 1996 and, you know, being the attitude. If it wasn't for Hall, Nash, and Hogan, there wouldn't have been no attitude era. You know what I mean? Because they were, they were what brought it to the dance. And I remember Bischoff on 83 Weeks talk about how if Hogan wasn't it, Sting would have been the third man, not Mabel. Um, you know, and just to kind of think how that would have been, I'm sure Sting would have done a great job with it, but like it was the American boy, you know, it was a real American, red, white, and blue. You know, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, Hulk Hogan. He was in all the movies. He was in movies that even though you look back on now and you watch them because they're funny, Though it was a big deal because Hulk Hogan was a part of it. And then to watch him walk away from wrestling, and then eventually Eric Bischoff was able to get his connections through, I think it was Ric Flair, to get him to join WCW, champion in WCW in the red and yellow, and then to put, see him put on the black and white, and to see what he did with that, and to then in 2003 return back to WWE in No Way Out with the NWO, you know, turn back into the babyface against The Rock, he had his on and offs with TNA and Impact Wrestling and everything else, but you know, no matter what he does, it's gold. Yes, he's had some challenging pieces in his personal life, but you know, Hulk Hogan, I will always credit as the thing that got me into wrestling even more because even just the mere presence of looking at a photo of him took my breath away. Like that is a professional wrestler. That guy's huge. He's strong. You know, watching him in the ring, put his hand up on the ear, just everything hulking up i remember the first time i saw him hulk up i was like i don't know why but i'm so excited right now like he's hulking up and i'm just like mm, like just sitting there like shaking my fists and like oh my god this is crazy you know like i don't know why he's doing it or how he's doing it but he's hulking up and then even as a kid you think back now where you're like oh he's doing the hulk up thing and but back then when i was a kid i was like oh no this guy's screwed like he's hulking up it's over hulk the hulk just won like there's no way this guy's gonna get out of you know hulk hulking up so once again, rambling again, definitely wrestling, you know, watching everything else about Hulk Hogan is, is absolutely phenomenal. And, um, you know, just, yeah, I would definitely say, you know, if you haven't seen some of his early work, especially the early WrestleManias, you know, one, two, and three, and four. And because I believe he all, there was back to back matches that um, I might be getting confused three and four, but I know I believe they both faced each other in three and four. Um, Hulk and Andre, I could be, I could be incorrect. Yeah, on one of them was the one where they came out in the mini rings. Yes, which I believe that was three. That's right. Which I believe they built specifically for Andre because it was that long walk right. and he wasn't going to be able to make it because that was during the time he was starting to break down a little bit. So once again, Andre the Giant um, documentary. If you haven't seen it, it's emotional. It's crazy. Definitely take a look at that. But yes, yeah, so uh, let me grab this back from you here. Looks like we have one more to do. Mm -hmm. um, so just a quick recap so far before we hit our last Mount Rushmore. Uh, Myra Rushmore so far is Shawn Michaels, uh, Steve Austin, Ric Flair, and Dusty Rhodes with the addition of Hulk Hogan. I cheated a little bit there. Um, yours so far is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, Jericho, very well deserved. Dusty Rhodes as well. Uh, Mr. Kyle, who is your last and final? So no, this one was the harder one, going back and forth. What do I do? Do right. I go? And, you know, Hogan could have been, but for me, Hogan would have been more or less because his name in in how he impacts everybody else's wrestling. He, you know, yes, the NWO stuff, but for me, he got overshadowed very quickly when they started expanding the NWO. Uh, into the 18,000 members and then they split into the two. And so, um, you know, and even back in the day, yes, I remember him from the eighties and, and early nineties and stuff like that. But right. 
Um, in the end, he just wasn't, for me, he wasn't at that same impact. And, you know, I looked at some other guys, you know, obviously Andre the Giants always an option for some people, um, but not for me. I, I know him. I know he's a big guy. He was very interesting watching the documentary because I definitely knew more than I had previously known. Uh, but my fourth is uh, the hitman Bret Hart. Very nice. So this one was the one that I was like, oh, maybe it's not. Maybe I could go with somebody else, you know, Undertaker or whoever else, um, you know, Mick Foley or something like that. But for me, even going back and seeing some of the stuff from from Brett, and you know, you look at you know he was he was Canadian. There was no denying it. Yep. Chris Jericho, yes, he's Canadian-ish. Uh, grew up in Winnipeg, born in, in New York. Uh, but Bret Hart was Canadian. He was our champion. Uh, you know, he had the Hart Foundation and the legacy that they brought in. And I remember the feud um, where he turned full heel as, you know, going Canada versus the U.S. And so um, – that and watching those promos go through and, and how amazing they were. And then his matches with, with Stone Cold where he's, you know, where Stone Cold really turned the corner as being the big superstar with the blood and passing out. And, 100%. Um, you know, and it's unfortunate that his time in WWF ended the way it did with the screw job. Um, and then with WCW, not really getting, where he could have gone, you know, the injury by Goldberg and things like that. But to me, Brett will always forever be our champion hundred percent from Canada. He's our guy. Uh, you know, he brought in the anvil. He brought in British bulldog. He brought in Owen. He brought in Talia TJ. Um, you have the loose cannon, um, Brian Pillman and yeah, our know, to some extent, nice. Jimmy, Jimmy Hart somehow managed to get in there at some point in time. True. And so, you know, it's just he was the center of it. He he's played off that America sucks thing so well that oh, you, God, you believed yeah. everything he said. It divided the W universe between or WF universe between Americans and Canadians. Um, he was afraid to wear the pink at a time where that would definitely not have happened. Um, he was the excellence of execution. He's the best there was, the best there is, the best there ever will be. He, to me, he's just the way he can perform and the way he does everything. It's just the epitome of what I would see a wrestler as. He wasn't a big guy, but man, he was good. He was solid. Everything was great with him. Uh, I was personally offended when he got screwed over by Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon. I couldn't believe it. You know, he, he expelled that kind of motion because he was our champion. So for me, in the end, I couldn't deny Bret Hart being my fourth and final member of my Mount Rushmore. That's a great, great addition. And once again, when I was going back and forth, like we were talking about earlier, it was really hard not to put him on mine. You know, it's because you're totally right. He's, he oozes of Canada. There's nothing better. And especially, too, he backed it up. You know, there was no one better than him. You know, historical moments, you know, even battling against, you know, family with Owen Hart at WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, what is it that was, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was WrestleMania 9 when Owen Hart beat him. But then Brett still went on to win the title at the end of the main event. You know, it was uh, so absolutely nuts how that guy's career. And, you know, very unfortunate, right, where all that stuff went down with Montreal screw job going over to WCW. WCW did not know what to do with a Bret Hart. 
And he got caught up in the NWO situation. It was yeah. bad timing. He he really got just swept up in that. It didn't really fit. And he wasn't there in WCW long enough to be the guy who goes against NWO. That's it. And he easily could have been. You yeah. know, it, it, it could, it's, it's the ultimate good guy versus bad guy. And and there was so much more you could have done. And during his time at WCW, you saw him as a United States champion. You saw him as the world heavyweight champion. But even it was very lackluster, not because of Bret Hart, because of what they did for Bret Hart. It was too much NWO at the time. And the fact that you can put the title on the guy and have matches against Sting and Goldberg and, and obviously, unfortunately, with Goldberg's lack of experience in the ring, um, super kicking him so blindly, super kicking him so hard, it ended his career. You know, which it's funny. You, you you can't necessarily go back, but you just try to think. Imagine that never happened. Yeah. You know, I would. I believe he would. He he would. If not, like still wrestling, he would be in the back in NXT teaching everyone. You know, and it, and it just sucks where he can't do much things physical. But I think he has a lot to offer because Brett's mindset has always been top of the food chain. So. But no, that's that's a that's a, a great Ram Mount Rushmore. And I will say I did find the photo and I was incorrect. I got my WrestleMania's confused. <laughs> I knew they were facing each other at three and four, but they got uh, it was WrestleMania four DVD set, two packs. When you pop it open, the Hulk Hogan head pops out. And the the crazy thing is I have this somewhere. I don't know where it is though. And it's either at my parents' place. Uh, or I lost it. There was at one point where I moved in with a roommate and things didn't go very well. <laughs> and we moved out and I left a lot of stuff there. And I believe a lot of it was my older wrestling um, figures, magazine. I probably lost easily $10,000 with the wrestling stuff. I had about like 100 action figures. Um, you know, I had probably 50 VHS tapes, a bunch of magazines. And unfortunately, I think it got left behind by accident. Um, which really sucked because I had a, a lot of really, really good stuff, even personal drawings. I remember I was drawing Stone Cold. It looked brutal, but, uh, but no. So I think that's a that's great, great match Rushmore. I was pretty happy about that. Yeah, great. that was uh, it was fantastic, and I like that uh, we had some similarities and also some differences, which awesome. is nice. Um, yeah, so that'll wrap up us for today. Uh, so, you know, thank you again for, for listening. We went over Fire Pro Wrestling, our Mount Rushmore, plus our highs and lows. Uh, so next week we'll be doing our preview of TLC, which is the next pay-per-view coming up on the 16th of December, uh, which should be an interesting one. Uh, the build-up is a bit of an odd one, but uh, we will see where it goes. What we should do one day? Maybe we should, like, I don't know, maybe it might be too long. Maybe we'll, we'll try. I know we don't have the biggest fan base, but for those of you who do follow us on uh, Twitter, 613 Wrestling, uh, Instagram, 613 Wrestling, uh, and YouTube, 613 Wrestling, um, you know, Please let us know. Like I know it would be very long, but maybe if you only, if you guys would want to see it, maybe one day we can watch. Uh, we can record while watching a live event. Yeah, you know that would be pretty crazy. It would it would end up being a couple of hours a uh, couple of hours long? Um, but if that's something that you guys would love to see, please let us know and hit us up online. Sounds good. So uh, once again, my name is Kyle. My name is Mark. And uh, thank you again for uh, listening to Six One Three Wrestling, and we'll uh, catch you later. See you guys. Thank you.